It's Golden Hour Adventure Time, featuring everyday people doing extraordinary things. From the peaks of victory to the valleys of defeat, these are their stories. Now, from the back of the pack, your hosts, Justin and Robbie. Welcome to Golden Hour Adventures. Today we have Rachel on the show. Rachel has run the Triple Crown of 200s and quite a few other races. Welcome to the show, Rachel. Hi, grateful to be here. Thank you. So tell us a little about yourself, how you got into running, uh, if you played sports as a kid, any any type of stuff like that. Um, I did play sports as a kid. I wanted to be, that's what my focus was. I wanted to be a professional quarterback for the Chicago Bears. <laughs> <laughs> then my dad wouldn't let me play football in fourth grade in seventh grade so then i was going to be a star in the nba so i played basketball and then i was going to be a professional golfer and realized i was nowhere near good enough for any of that so but after high school I got out of sports, went into the service, and then after I got out of the service, I basically didn't do anything athletic until I hit like 41 or 42. What branch of service were you in? Uh, I was in the Army, oh, 82nd, cool. 82nd Airborne. Oh, nice. I'm currently uh, in the Air Force. Okay, nice. Thank you for your service. Yeah, you too. Thank you. And then I, uh, I, one day I decided I got to get back into shape and I hired a trainer and I was lifting and then I got on a treadmill and I'm like, Hey, I remember this running thing. Cause I did run track in high school. I forgot to mention that I, I wasn't going to be a professional runner. Um, <laughs> that one didn't cross your mind about being a professional runner. No, nah, I was never fast enough, but I, I did like to run. Yeah. But then I got into other things after I got out of the service. And then I'm like, my body was like, hey, we remembered his running thing. And my personality has kind of always been um, go big or go home. So I figured after running like two miles on the treadmill, I could run a marathon. <laughs> <laughs> As you know, that's that, that's my thinking. And then, so I'm like, well, I, I signed up. I did a half marathon was my first one. Then I did a 20 miler. Then I signed up for a marathon. And before I even completed that, before I even did that marathon, I signed up for my first 50 miler. <laughs> Isn't it funny how our minds work sometimes? Right. And I, I'm reading the website for this 50 miler. It was local. And it said, it's best to have done two marathons <laughs> by the time you do this. So I'm like, well, I got one coming up and there's another one about three weeks before the 50 miler. So I'll do those two and, and then I'll do the 50 miler. No problem. Right. <laughs> so, and, but then so I did the two marathons and I'm like, yes, these are great. Running long distances is great. And I did the 50 miler and then I was hooked. I skipped right over to 50 K. I'm like, 
So how'd the first 50 miler go? Did it, was it a, a train wreck or did you just smooth, smooth through it? It was actually pretty good. I, I had, I thought I had trained pretty well for it. And, um, the, the night before the race, I finished reading confessions of an overnight runner by, um, I got a bad memory. What's his name? I don't know if I've ever heard of that one. Yeah, I've never heard of it. Um, I, I forget the author's name. Is it a good book? What? Is it a good book? Yeah, it was. Um, and I read that and I finished that and he did his 50 miler, first 50 miler in 827. Whoa. Oh, Dean Carnassus. Dean Carnassus. Oh, okay. I thought that's who that was. I, I thought I'd seen that, but yeah, I'd never read that one. And I read that. I'm like, all right, let's see if I can get that time. And and being in Illinois, it's kind of flat here. <laughs> but uh, so I ran it and it went pretty good. And I was running pretty good. Last 10 miles, you know, I was hurting and tired and whatever. And I came in at 828.54. Wow. wow. Your first 50 miler. <laughs> but uh, I was happy because I got my sub nine buckle and I broke 830 on my first 50 milers. So. Jeez. That's fast. That's yeah. smoking fast. <laughs> yeah. what, race was, what race was this? It's called uh, Does Plains River Trail Race. Okay takes place every year. It's like the weekend after the Chicago Marathon. Okay. Well, it's a nice local race, good race directors. Yeah. So it's on a uh, crushed limestone path. So it's like, which I consider like road. Yeah. The, yeah. the equivalent of road. So, I mean, it, it hurt afterwards. <laughs> I, I crossed the finish line. One of the race directors was there, put his arm around my stomach going, you can stop running now. <laughs> they, they gave me something to drink. I went over and sat on a uh, picnic table bench and, and just cried. <laughs> how, how did you place? Um, I don't know. I think I came in. Oh, yeah, I do remember. I came in uh, what was it? 13. Okay. Wow. But I I consider myself more of a mid to back of the pack runner. Uh, I'm cool with that. Oh yeah, that's where all the fun happens, right? <laughs> where all the good scores happen too, right? <laughs> We're running fast. It's over with. I want to get my money's worth. Yeah, exactly. You need to take all the time at the aid stations, eat all the food. If they had beer <laughs> on the on at the aid stations, you know, like we're the ones taking the beer. It seems like fireball whiskey has become a, a staple at aid stations. And that has, that has. Yeah. Forgive me. I, I drink a lot of coffee. Oh, no worries. I'm here okay. with you. I've had my full already. So <laughs> <laughs> I can't drink anymore. <laughs> so what got you into wanting to do the triple crown of two hundreds? Um, I was running with a, a 
I run with a local group here sometimes called the Flatlander Ultra Runners mm -hmm. in Chicago. Land. I was going to ask you if you ran with the Flatlanders. Yeah, I do. Um, Scott Coomer might be a good one to interview. He's on our list. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, and one of the members had done all the original 600s in one year. Uh, forget all the uh, ones, Vermont, Western States. Oh, um, the Grand Slam? Yeah. Okay. Did the Grand Slam, and it kind of inspired me. And I was, I was flipping through social media, and just lo and behold, uh, uh, an ad for Bigfoot 200 came up, or no, Tahoe. For the Tahoe 200 came up, and I'm like, the guy that ran all the Grand Slam, like that inspired me. I'm like, I'm going to do Tahoe 200. So I signed up for that. Wait, was there a uh, was there a hundred miler before this, or did you straight run from the fifty to the two hundred? No, there were there were a few uh, hundred miles. Okay, okay. I was like, <laughs> we skip, we skipped the fifty k. Did you just skip the hundred mile too? Or no, I I had finished like two or three hundred. Okay, all right. Local ones. So at least you had like a little bit of. Well, I know a fifty miler is still a long distance, but you had longer distances than a fifty. Yeah, I, I did. I finished. Uh, 100k a couple hundred k's a uh, couple hundred milers and but i'm like so i signed before that i did like hennepin 100 no oh, i dnf'd yeah. a couple hundreds in that time period too and but I'm like, I can do this, right? Go big or go home, right? That's what we do. <laughs> um, and, um, you know, I, once I, uh, but I, I got addicted to trails when I uh, ran my first trail race, which was um, Kettle Moraine 100. Okay, yeah. And ever since that, I've been on trails. I mean, I said goodbye to roads, no more. <laughs> but anyway, I signed up for Tahoe. I'm like, okay. And then I see an ad for Bigfoot, price increase. You know, coming up, register now. I'm like, all right. So I, I like wait a little bit. Uh, then I signed up for Bigfoot second, even though Bigfoot is the first race out of the three. I'm like, okay, this is going to be one hell of a year next year. <laughs> 2016. I ran the Triple Crown in 2017. Oh, so so I still and then I, there were rumors of a, of a Moab 200 to make the Triple Crown. I'm like, ooh, this sounds interesting. I like Moab. I did a 50K out there, and it's just beautiful. Yeah, it is. And um, I'm like, all right. So 
and I waited and they're like, well, the Moab 200 is going to be about 238. Like, oops. <laughs> okay, that's all right. It's a little more than 200. <laughs> it's a little more than the 200. Just, just like a 60K more than a 200. Yeah. <laughs> that's a whole but, other race. But yeah, but once you've gone 200, what's 38 more miles? Yeah. Very <laughs> true. I, I mean, you can just hoof it in, right? Yeah. Just to walk and hard. So I, I waited for that and it was delayed a little bit and there was a debate going on on whether they should still call it a 200. So they changed it to the Moab 240. Mm. And naturally, I got a good deal on it when it during the first week when the registration opened, they had a good price on it. So I'm like, I can't pass this up. My credit cards are getting maxed out, but <laughs> but I'm like, you know, I, I got to do this. So, and then, but meanwhile, I'm training for these races as best I can in flat territory. I did go out and do, what was it? The, uh, the, the sky race in Tahoe before Bigfoot. I did that like in June. So I, I at least knew a little bit about being up at altitude. So I'm like, okay. Cause you know, I I'm training here in flat country for uh, Bigfoot's what, like 43,000 feet of vert and 200 miles. Yeah. That's a big one. Yeah. Not, not used to that here, but I'm like, okay. Let's do it. So I, I trained as best I could and went out there and I'm like, I'm not coming back without a buckle. I want a <laughs> buckle. I want to get this done. So I, I finished. It took me a little over 102 hours, but I finished Bigfoot. Awesome. No they have, crew. They have cool buckles too there. They do. They're all different and they're all handmade. Yeah, I had a buddy running. He said you just pick up off the table. You just go whatever one's yeah. left when you finish. That's the one you get. Yeah, you, you you pick the one you want. So I did. I came home with that buckle. I did not have any crew for that race. I had two drop bags. I'm like, uh, I don't really use drop bags, and I'm like, I, I hope I just don't die. <laughs> <laughs> That is brave. That's yeah. brave. <laughs> I, 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 I brought two pairs of shoes with me. One on my feet and the other one I carried in my pack. With you? Yeah. I carried everything with me. Wow. I, I got oh my gosh. direction, like 15 liters, the uh, fast packs. Oh, yeah, the fast pack. If you're going to do a 200, I recommend that pack those fast packs from ultimate direction because I saw a lot of people out there using them. Yeah. But, and I'm like, all right, let's just do this. So it was beautiful. I just, and people are like, how'd you do it? And I'm like, I just kept moving. I slept about a total of eight hours the whole time. And I was fortunate enough to, uh, from like mile one twelve to 
175 i just me and this other group i i made friends with and we just kept moving you know and because when you're out there alone your mind goes like why am i out here i gotta go into another night uh, <laughs> you know going into that first night in a hundred is is difficult right yeah yeah but then when you do that and you're like, oh, I got to go through another night, the second night, and it's like, oh. <laughs> and you get make it through the second night and you're like, oh, man, I'm going to need a third night here. <laughs> <laughs> you get done with the third night and you're like, oh, I'm going to need a fourth night too. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> it's like, I just want to get this done. But I made it to Twin Sisters Aid Station at like 175. I had a friend, she lives in you know, like north of Seattle. She came down, she worked at that aid station for a little bit, and then she paced me for the last 50K in, which I'm glad she did because like, it forced me to just keep going. Yeah, I got there, she let me sleep a little bit, got me fed, and then we just went out and by the time I left and I this was one picture that I got it was like Candace puts these little out and backs on that race and they're all uphill why not of course <laughs> why not Let, let's go uphill a little bit more <laughs> and it was the last one and it it was steep, but got up there and I got up there right at sunrise and it was the most beautiful thing you've ever seen. Yeah, the mountain, snow-capped mountain, the clouds just under it, the view was just spectacular. And I'm like, this made it all worthwhile just to be able to see that sunrise. And then I'm like, okay. <laughs> Only got a marathon to do. <laughs> let, let's get this done. Yeah, what's a marathon after 175 miles, right? <laughs> I mean, really, it's, it's just a walk in the woods, right? Yep. <laughs> and then I will, and then, then after that, I in between Bigfoot and Tahoe, I paced a guy for 50k at a race then did Tahoe and a little bit faster than Bigfoot because it's got a shorter time cap on it. But did that and like, what was it? 90, 94 hours, 94.55 what I did in it. Something like that. Wow. And I'm, I got that buckle and I'm like one more to go. And my body's just breaking down. Yeah. Naturally the weekend before Moab started, I had to pay somebody for a marathon. I, I do not recommend that. Somebody <laughs> <laughs> a marathon, uh, <laughs> like six days before you do a 240 mile. Oh my gosh. What was it a road marathon? Practically, it was on like a path, oh. and it was just pure 26 miles of 
hiking really and it just hurt so i'm like all right i'm not doing anything until moab starts then i went out to moab my wife and i drove out drove out there picked up a guy in denver that was running the race too so we gave him a ride to the race and Throughout Moab, my body just kept breaking down, but you, you just keep going, you know, you, yeah. tell yourself, you just keep going. I did almost DNF at the 100K mark. I hit that in like 23 hours at Moab. I'm like, oh, I'm tired. I want to go home. I couldn't call my wife because there was no cell reception. The aid station didn't close down for five five more hours, so I would have had to wait. But the one thing there was this one guy, I'm sure he's a nice guy. Uh, while I'm trying to take a little cat nap there in a chair, he just did nothing but talk. And I'm just, this is, that's all he did was talk. And I'm like, I am not going to sit here for five hours and listen to him talk. <laughs> so I got some food, I grabbed my gear, and I said, see you later. <laughs> that was at the 100K mark, and I, I finally got cell reception when I hit about 201 miles. I'm like, well, hell, I might as well finish this now. I only got 37 left. <laughs> Uh, but I'm like, and, and I'll finish the fin the uh, triple crown, and that's what I wanted. I hooked up with a couple guys on that race too, and we just ran a little bit, power hiked mostly. After after 218 miles, you know, you're not. I'm not. At least I'm not running that much. Yeah, I don't think anyone is. Yeah. <laughs> Right. Yeah, except, so when you, except when you come down off the mesa and you only got like a mile left or a little less than a mile to the finish line and then you're like all right i just want to get this done so you just start trotting a little bit you know you, you get that like little burst of energy you know and you can just trot it in it's like okay finished <laughs> It's that one where you think you're running fast and you're doing like 18 minute miles running. Right. <laughs> I thought I was running fast. I looked, looked at my watch. Why am I doing a 22 minute pace? <laughs> <laughs> my watch is broken. <laughs> you know, but you just got it done. And that's another race after I got done with Moab. I, I finished. I got some food. I sat down and just started crying. Number one, I was glad it was over. And number, two, and number two, you just go through all these emotions for yeah. four days being out there. I can only imagine. I know. That was the year Courtney DeWalter won it. Mm -hmm. She beat me by a weekend. <laughs> It took her. It took her fifty-seven hours. It, it took me a hundred and five. Oh, that's funny. 
the time of measurement in an ultra marathon it's like she could, I mean, by a she, could have, she could have finished flown to australia <laughs> fly back take a nap and still be done before me oh my gosh that's too funny so that, that, that's my uh that's my purple crown story Oh, great. That's awesome. Yeah. That was but it was a lot of fun. I, I enjoyed pretty much every minute of it. Would, would I do those three again in one year? No. <laughs> would I go back to one of them? Yes, I would. What, which one was your favorite? Bigfoot. Bigfoot. That's what I've heard from everybody that's done them is Bigfoot is the best one. Yeah. And my my favorite is the the one two three is the order we ran in them. Bigfoot was my favorite. Tahoe was my second, and Moab was great, but that was a lot more road than I thought it was gonna be. I mean that's all right, but you're going down this road in uh, Utah, and you're like, hmm, why am I flashing back to Forrest Gump? <laughs> <laughs> I'm tired. I think I'll go home now. <laughs> and I, I'm just going down this road, and I'm like, nobody behind me. I'm not. I'm not in a movie. <laughs> and so this, next, this next aid station's got to be up here soon. <laughs> I mean, I mean, it felt like I've gone a marathon and I went like six miles. <laughs> <laughs> what kind of hallucinations been... did you have on those? Uh, many. <laughs> many. I, I, I would imagine running that. four nights. I hallucinated an entire family having a picnic. Really? Yeah. Were you hungry? <laughs> what? Were you hungry? Yeah. <laughs> I hallucinated a bus, and it, it appears I'm not the only one that hallucinated that same bus. <laughs> That's was it a bus to pick you guys up? <laughs> I, I, I wish it was, but it, it wasn't. <laughs> it was just a falling down tree. Uh, no, but I'm not the only one that hallucinated that bus, so... But yeah, I had many hallucinations. What was your sense of accomplishment after you finished the Triple Clown? How did you feel? Did um feel like you could do anything in the world after that? Or Yeah, I felt like I accomplished this, and I, I actually felt pretty good about myself. I'm like, well, I did not, I didn't win any of them. But you know what? I I beat the cutoff on all of them, and and I finished. And to me, that that's all that matters. I set out to do what I wanted to do. It's a win in your book. It is, and I had a whole bunch of my running friends back here rooting for me, and, and it was it was really great. I'm, I'm glad I did it. So. So 2018, what did your season year look like in 2018 after completing the Triple Crown? Uh, I took it easy. 
I did. What did I do in 2018? I don't know. Oh, I did cruel drill. <laughs> <laughs> that's easy. <laughs> did you do that? I mean, that's, that's that's not fun either. <laughs> Man. I actually, actually have that one on my list. I've wanted to do that one for a while, but I just, yeah, that one looks awful. Yeah, it is. I mean, the dragon spine is like 25 miles of just up and down. You go like down two miles, up three miles, down a mile and a half, up two miles. It's like that for 25 miles. <laughs> but, but the good thing is you hit that on the way back too. <laughs> It's an back. But I actually DNF'd that one. Oh, okay. Stomach issues got me on that one. I don't blame you. <laughs> and, but, but I did complete um, another good race called the... Uh, what is it? I, I'm, I'm just so bad with names. Um, Never Summer. That's oh, yeah. One. I finished that one. I missed qualifying for Western States on that one by six minutes. Oh, my gosh. No. I was like, oh. You finished that one. They should just give you the, give you the. The, the, the time cut off for the race is 24 hours. For to qualify for Western States, you have to do it in 23. Hmm. That's weird. But that was a beautiful 100K. I finished that. And then what else did I do? Then, oh, I finished. I did Brazos Bend 100 down in Texas in December of 2018. Finished that one. That one was flat. Yeah, I've heard that's a fast one. It is. It is a fast one, but not for me. It wasn't. <laughs> There's well, a big, big difference in in fast for some people and just you know standard hundred milers for everyone else. <laughs> I beat the cutoff. I did it in like twenty six and a half hours. Hey, that's all. You got a buckle. All the matter, yep. I, I got the buckle. Um, I've done like. The Flatlanders started this tradition. The two people that started the Flatlanders did this thing called the World's Longest Turkey Trot. Heard about that. Have you heard of that? Yeah. Yeah, I uh, I follow Scott Coomer in the Ten Junk Miles pretty heavily. So yeah, I okay. definitely definitely want to go out and do that one day. That sounds super fun. If you like a hundred miles of pavement, go for it. <laughs> <laughs> But I heard that it's just kind of like there, and there's no cutoff. There's no time requirements. It's just out. A bunch of people no. just out there having fun, you know. It is, and that sounds like a blast to me. It is. I mean, your aid stations are all right. There's a Starbucks. Let's get something. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> you know, it's like we uh, we there was like six of us, and we started in Chicago, and we got to this suburb. It's rather affluent. It was the day after Thanksgiving. It's busy, right? Mm-hmm. And here we come walking in after doing like 30 miles to the Starbucks, a bunch of ragtags, you know. 
It is. Black Our, Friday. Right, on Black Friday. And, and, and it was like an E.F. Hutton commercial. <laughs> everybody just, like, got quiet and looked at us. Music stopped. Right. You know? But hey, somehow we ordered our drinks and food and sat down and ate and left. People come over. What are you guys doing? You running a race? So we're like, yeah, we're uh, we're running from the bean in Chicago to Milwaukee. They're like, oh, <laughs> <laughs> what? What? But, it, but it, it was a lot of fun. It was great. Had some good times. Fell asleep in several restaurants. <laughs> and and then um after, so i did it both ways two years in a row did it from chicago to milwaukee and then the next year i did it from milwaukee to chicago and i'm like i'm done with that it, it's, great. <laughs> it's great i went both ways and i'm i'm good with that and, and scott started getting buckles so got a buckle for that one on the second one. But that that was the year they started raising money for ALS. Yeah. The uh, co-founder of Flatlanders, that's what he passed away from, Alfredo <laughs> Pedro Perro. Yep. And uh, so now they run it and raise money for ALS, which which is very good, I think. Yeah, no, it's yeah. definitely got a good call to it. If you want a, a, a fun time just running out with some friends doing something crazy, come on out and do it. I didn't Great. realize they flip-flop every year. I thought that was just the same direction every year. No. I don't know. They might go the same direction every year now, but... I saw they went from Chicago to Milwaukee this year. Yeah. So I don't know if they're going from Milwaukee to Chicago this year. Next year, I don't know. I mean, it's something to do the day after Thanksgiving. Yeah, burn off all that turkey. Right. <laughs> so yeah, in the last last few years of my running, I've just been kind of taking it easy. Let my body heal a little bit. I had an injury in 2020. So after that, I'm just like, I'm going to run for fun for a little bit. Yeah. I did work with Eve for a while. I like working with her. She's good yeah. people. Yeah, we recently had her on the podcast. She's really good. Yeah, and 2021, as you might know, I, I, I went through some personal issues. So that I've been working on and coming through on that. So you mind talking about those personal issues? No. What, what questions do you have? Well, well, why don't you explain to us what those personal issues are? Um, a recent 20 the beginning of 2022, I started transitioning from male to female. It's just something that I've kind of had to fight back all my life. Well, at least from high school on about 
that I, I'm like, I don't feel comfortable as a male. I'd rather live as a female. But growing up in the 70s and 80s, you just didn't talk about this. You didn't talk about it. It was just leave it in the dark and hopefully it'll go away, right? So I've had to pretty much bury it all my life. Um, what year was it? 2010, after spending 20 years in the bottle, I finally came out, got sober. And since then, I've just been kind of finding out who I am and just being who I am. You know, I, I liked running, so I got back into that. And I just spent the time being me. And since early high school, like late middle school, early high school, when, when you feel like you'd rather you identify more with the girls than you did with the boys, but you had to, you know, play like you're a boy. And so all this stuff started coming to the surface. And over the years, I buried it. It would come back. I'd bury it, usually with a lot of alcohol. But now I don't have the alcohol to bury it anymore. I got to do something with it. Well, let's explore it. So, and I finally realized that after coming out of denial, and everything, it's like, like, I realized that I accepted the fact that I am transgender. I didn't choose to be this. I just chose to accept the fact that I am. And I decided I was no longer gonna live my life how society expected me to live it. No, I'm not doing anything illegal, and I want to be true to myself and be happy. And this is the way I express it. This is who I am. And so I officially came out on social media on October 11th, which was just so happened to be National Coming Out Day of this year. And obviously I told my wife a little bit before that, so so she didn't have to find out that way, but she's been supportive. And but when, when I stopped working with Eve, this was uh, the issue I was wrestling with. And so it took me a while to come to grips with it, but I finally did. Talking to someone about it, a therapist, which is helping a lot, but this is how I choose to live my life now. And you know what, I'm good with it. Do you feel, do you feel a sense of relief? Are you happier now? I got a, a, a big sense of freedom. I don't have to hide anymore. 
So your, your time in the service, did you, you said in high school, you started to feel that way. Mm. How, how did that feel going through the service? Um, because, you know, the service is pretty masculine and pretty feminine for the groups. Um, right. I just, I'm like, it didn't, it didn't really come up too much in the service. It did a little bit, but I figured I had to live how people wanted me to live, you know? Yeah, you're, you kind of already signed your life away, so. Right, at least three years of it. Is that how you served? Was three years? Yeah. Okay. 86 to 89. Okay. I didn't make a career out of it. I mean, the Army was a fun experience, but when it was time to leave, I'm like, goodbye. <laughs> <laughs> it's been real. It's been fun. But, you know, another one of those things where I learned a lot. I, I, I enlisted when I was, I started basic training when I was 17. Okay. And I had graduated basic training by the time my dad got a letter in the mail saying, uh, you got to register for the draft. And tell him I'm not going to be able to get there and do it. <laughs> Explain to him that I'm already in the service. Would you? You know, but it, it's just, you bury it. And you learn to live how people want you to live. And it was still a subject you did not talk about, you know, and now it's, now it's starting to come out more. I think people are starting to shed the light on it. I mean, it is tough when, you know, you, you try and act like Rambo, but you're not, you know? Yeah. <sighs> So how long how long have you how long have you been married? Um, my wife asked me that question one time. I said too long. <laughs> <laughs> that, that was not the right answer. <laughs> uh, got married in what ninety seven. This is twenty twenty two. So what twenty five years? Okay. Wow! Congrats. Yeah, just hit twenty five years and this past August, but I mean, I, I love my wife. She's a great woman. She's pretty understanding. So that's, that's a good thing. So working on those issues. When did you uh, open up to your wife about this, about your, your feelings? Um, back in June. Well, so just pretty recently. And she's like, yeah, I've known for a long time, though. <laughs> You're like, you couldn't have said something? I, we couldn't have had this discussion sooner. <laughs> Been holding this back but, for 25 years. <laughs> she's like, I've known for quite a while that you like to cross-dress. I mean, I would cross-dress over the years at certain points, and then I'd be like, all those things I was taught when I was growing up, this is wrong. So I, you know, stopped doing it. But it just kept coming back every so often. 
last time it came back, I'm like, you know what? I'm not going to suppress it anymore. Let's see where it goes. But yeah, my wife said she's known for a long time. Said you'll always have a place to live. And actually, we've been talking a lot more. So that's good. So, I mean, there are some blessings in it, but it, it's, there are going to be roadblocks. I know it. But, yeah. So, that, do you, so do you think your running was after you got sober, then you started running these long distances? Do you think that's how you were dealing with your pain and your hiding? Yeah. It was because I just go out there and forget, you know, and you think and you're like, especially when you do the triple crown, you're like, or a 200 miler, even one 200 miler, you're out there for a long time. You know, unless you're an elite, then you're not out there for as long. <laughs> but you, you got a lot of time to think. You know, and it's like all these memories that you thought you forgot about just came back. And you're like, why does this one line from a song keep replaying in my head for the last 15 miles? <laughs> yeah. You know, but you got a lot of time to think. And I don't know if I was actually running from it. I, I view my running sometimes as a form of meditation. So it's yeah. my way of working things out. Yeah. I mean, once we get into that flow state, everything feels good and fine for that yeah. moment being. You know, and it's like you, you, I get moments of clarity from it. And I, ever since I got sober, I've been getting a lot more moments of clarity, which, which is probably a good thing. <laughs> So now that you're you're uh, opening up and you know open to this now, where has your running go gone? Um, has it changed when you're out there on the trail or long run, short run? Doesn't matter. Is it um, more freeing, or do you are you still fighting those demons? No, it's more freeing. It's like I don't have to hide. I can be me and. I'm of that philosophy. If people don't like it or don't like me because of it, that's entirely their problem. Yeah. It's a good way to put it. Yep. Yeah. Might not be the right attitude to have, but it's the one I have. And it's the one that keeps me free. And it's like, I'm being me. You don't like it? Go somewhere else. Yeah. Kind of seems like yeah. you had a weight on your shoulders and it just kind of fell off. Yeah. Now, don't don't get me wrong. The uh, the monkey might be off my back, but the circus is still in town. Yeah, it's probably going to be. You know, a lot of us have our own demons and battles, and I don't know if they'll ever. If you can ever beat them or they go away. No, but uh, you're right. But I mean, a lot of us use ultra running to cope with it. Yep, it helps with it. It helped me with my alcoholism, and it's helping me transition a little bit more. When I came out, a lot of my running friends were very supportive, saying, hey, we support you no matter what you do. 
And you know, that, that made me feel real good. And some people who you thought would react badly didn't. And, um, eh, which, which kind of surprises you, but it's still, it makes you feel good. It's like, Hmm. But still, it's a long road. I just started this process. So, but I'm enjoying it now. I'm happy. I'm living my life and, you know, there, there are going to be roadblocks and challenges ahead, but, you know, bring them on. Well, that's what like, it comes down to. As long as you're happy, who else, what, who cares, you know? Right. Right. It's your life. Live it how you want to live it. Right. I mean, people don't like my life. I'm like, you know, it's fine. You don't like it. You don't have to live my life. Very true. I do. And I decided I'm no longer, like I said, I'm no longer going to live my life how somebody else expects me to live it. Mm -hmm. you know, I, I view society as like living in a box. I am, here's the box. I am like way out here. <laughs> okay. Living in a box is too constricting for me because I know I've always been different. I like that. And, and I'm okay with that. And the one thing about ultra running that has taught me is to be okay with myself and it's taught me to be okay with myself alone. That is very yeah, true. There are a lot of people in a hundred milers, but you spend a lot of that time by yourself. Yep. yep. Was the majority of your training by yourself too? Yeah, I run like with some friends of mine on the weekend, usually on Sunday, but if we can get together, but usually all my training runs are alone. I kind of like it. Yeah, I, I could see that because not to say this again, but you're fighting those demons. And uh, when you're with a group, you really, you could be having a bad run or a good run, but still not what you need when, you're trying to figure all this stuff out. Right. But sometimes when in, running with a group, with my friends, somebody will say something and it'll strike a chord. You know? Yep. Sometimes I do need that input. I need something from the outside to spark something. A catalyst, if you will. Mm -hmm. You know? And you I, I, go ahead. Do you think that gives you more motivation to keep going further with your transformation it does it does and I'm, I'm happy that the people i work with are very supporting of it so they're very supportive they're cool with it so it's great was there any surprises with some people that you had thought were your friends that turned on you or disagreed with what you were doing? If they disagree with it, they haven't said anything. They just haven't said anything. And it's like, all right. 
but so for the I most part for the most part i have not gotten any negative feedback from my running friends that's great it is that's what i love about like the ultra running community and the trail community and runners in general even even road runners <laughs> um is that they're a pretty accepting group i feel well, like the trail community and the ultra community you can be yourself yeah and they're accepting of it they're like hey do you and they're cool with it and i know i just i read up western states allows transgender runners they allow you to run as the gender you identify yourself with but if i think western states policy but it is if you are going for a podium spot i think they then refer to the ioc rules is like you have to have your uh, hormones tested, like your estrogen level has to be a certain level. But if you're a trans man in Western states and you're taking testosterone, you do not have to have them tested. Interesting. Mm -hmm. I, I know that, you know, with uh, the girl that got the golden ticket for Havelina, um, she's non-binary but they made her sign up as a woman yeah how do you feel about that you know i don't know i i, I think th this is all kind of new i think she should be allowed to or the trans man right I'm not really uh, sure. I, I think uh, she was, I think she registered as non-binary, but she competed in the women's division, women's I think is what it was. She she okay, did sign sure. up as non-binary, but she competed in the women's division. Okay. I, I don't I know. One. I don't know anything about her. Um, I, I, I just heard something about this, but I have not read anything about it. But I mean, it, it, they're, they're still kind of figuring this out. You know, if you got, like me, a transgender woman wanting to run a race as a woman, but I'm a cisgender man, I was born a male, they're like, that gives me an unfair advantage over cisgender women, right? Because I still, and I, if I'm not on hormone replacement therapy, that gives me an advantage over them, right? Yep. If you subscribe to the theory that men are more stronger than women. But, you know, I can see that this is all kind of murky waters. And, you know, since it's just coming out, like sports haven't really, they've come up with, certain policies but they're rather general you know yeah and they're being criticized for that it's like and i think a lot of the what 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 i'm hearing a lot is um 
because I know there's a race by me that will allow you to register whatever gender you identify with. Chicago Marathon has a non-binary category. They had one this year. But a lot of the controversy is in like high school athletics and or college mm -hmm. where that if you have gone through full male puberty, they will not let you compete as a transgender woman. Yeah, and it was a big controversy this year when that uh, swimmer, transition swimmer, won nationals. Mm -hmm. and that's that's what brought a lot brought a light to you know a lot of the the topic and the topic of discussion and where are we going with this? Right, and. If you ask me, I think it's a topic that needs to be explored, at least talked about, because it, it keeps coming up. It does. It's not going away. And, and you, at some point, you just can't ignore it anymore. You know, if you keep pushing it in the closet, it's just going to grow in the dark. Yep. Yep. And I, I, I so I think it needs to be talked about more because there's still a lot of skepticism. I know 18 states have banned transgender women from completing and competing in college sports. Um, I read South, I think it was South Dakota did not, but they said you got to show proof. You got to show your birth certificate, show proof. Like if you identify as a transgender woman, you got to show proof on your birth certificate that you were born a woman. You know, hmm. birth certificate has to match. That's interesting because I was not what you identify as. Huh. Well, it's not like they're going to, you can't get your birth certificate changed. No, I don't think <laughs> once that's signed, it's done deal. Uh, I mean, uh, I've heard of some transgender women, they have actually got their sex change, not the operation, but on paperwork. Hmm. I got a birth certificate. It took almost took almost an act of God to do it, but they got to change stuff. Do you think there just needs to be another category for non-binary? Probably. I mean, that would solve a lot of the problems because then if you identify as non-binary, you can at least be in that category and do your thing. Right. I mean, for me, for my races, I will probably sign up as a male. I will go as a, a female. But since I haven't started hormone therapy or hormone replacement therapy yet, which I hope to starting next year, um, whenever, because I, I don't know some races rules, but I think it's coming out more and more that more races are being accepted. I, I can see the, the argument like if you're a transgender woman and you're trying for a podium spot, that's going to give you an advantage. But I think Western states will let a transgender woman race as a woman. 
even if they're vying for a podium spot, but they have to go by estrogen levels in your blood. Okay. Do you think that's the right answer, having to go through additional testing to be able to run in the field that you identify as? For right now, it, it, it's a stopgap, I think, mm -hmm. and something that'll be like, okay, until this can, you know, until it's researched a little bit more on what to do because uh, you know so, no matter what you do somebody's always going to complain right that's 100 percent true yeah so you, you got to find the one that, that that's going to make both sides say okay this is fair you know <clears throat> each side might not like the whole thing but as long, I, I feel as long as you're moving forward it's the right direction. Mm -hmm. Do you find this more as a religious view from our society? Um, because most people are very open these days, um, but it seems like it's still sticking point somewhere with the higher ups, whoever you want to say. I guess it seems to me that it's more of a religious thing because uh, religion's been around for so long and there was never any non-binary or you can identify as a female as a male back in the day um so what's your thought on that is it religious or where do you think this is coming from uh the, the in terms of who's against it well who's it's weird the society has a pushback there's a most is not most but most open-minded people don't have a problem with it it's just this group of people that have a problem with people identifying as who they want to identify with um uh, and I, I think, think it stems from religion i think part of the problem does stem from religion i think also part of it is um the we're still stuck in this victorian era of sex right yep and I, I think people are still stuck in that and can't get past it, you know, like I'm of the mind where if, if I want to be a trans woman, how does that bother you? How does that affect your life? It doesn't. Okay. So who really cares? Right. But it's these but it's society well certain part of it saying oh they'll, they'll throw the bible in your face right yeah this is wrong you know the good christians that never go to church <laughs> are, are all of a sudden throwing the bible at you and it's like you know i, I read the same thing and not one of the ten commandments says Thou shalt identify with the gender you were born. You know? Yeah. Nowhere does it say that. At least not the parts I've found. I've read. So the, yeah, the I think with this Victorian era of thing, and I think some people are still stuck in the 1950s, 
you know, the, this view of society, the the male dominated society, right? Yes. You know what I'm talking about? Male goes to work, the woman stays in the house. Yep. Takes care of the kids, does the cleaning. Right, sense. and basically has no rights, right? Yeah. I think some people still want to keep that. And we, we've blown past that. You know, it, it's time to change. Yeah, I agree. And you, you, you can't stay stuck in the 1950s when everything's changing. It's just not going to work, you know. Yeah. It's time to let the newer generations take over. Yeah. Well, I mean, we're such a young country, and, you know, these other countries have been around for thousands of years, and everything was set in stone pretty much. When the United States became a nation, it was freedom. And we're all taught we should be free and happy. And mm -hmm. now this is a result of people being free and happy. They have different opinions and want to live their life differently. Mm -hmm. um, but those other people are like, no, these are the rules and you can't step out of these rules. Right. Uh, mm -hmm. And I feel it's the majority of people. And there's a little smaller group of people. They're like, no, this is who we are. This is what we want to do. And right. I don't know how long that will take to get that majority to be equal or greater than the other majority. I, I don't know. Um, see, my whole view with this is some people want to make it a political issue, yeah. some make it a religious issue, and a political issue. Mine is neither. Mine is a human rights issue. Well, that's what I struggle with. We're humans first, then everything else fine, falls behind that. Right. We're all human beings. I'm still a human being. Why does, now that I want to be a transgender woman, why does that all of a sudden not make me one? Yeah. Why does that not make me a human? Why should I be cast out or lose all my rights? According to this, everyone is created, all men, notice how it says all men, but if we're all created <laughs> equal, how is now me being placed in subhuman just because I'm different than you? I think you know? we're just breaking society norms of, like you said, we are, you know, like the U.S. or the world in general is kind of stuck in what these society norms, you know. Um, you know, I've been in the military since they repealed Don't Ask, Don't Tell. I have a lot of friends that are um, gay that have come out since then. And, you know, it's like, who cares? Let them live their life. Like, wh what is the big deal? Um, I, I don't personally have any friends that have transitioned. And so I think that, you know, being gay is a more common thing, I guess, what I'm trying to say. And so yeah. it's kind of becoming, it's kind of become a norm. And, you know, transgender has just now started to surface and come to light. And so people don't understand it. And so because they don't understand it, they don't like it. And, or, they, fear. You know, and they do, they fear it. You're absolutely right. Um, I, I don't know much about it because I don't know anyone personally that's ever transitioned. So, I mean, 
just just listening to you talk, you've taught me a huge amount. And so um, I think that longer that society or as a transgender becomes more and more common, society will start finding it more of a norm. I, I don't know. I, I, I hope so. Yeah. And that's why I'm not here to make a political statement. I'm enjoying being on the show, talking to you guys. But for me, like I said, it's a human human rights issue. And the more we talk about it, it's just to me, it's about like treating someone with respect. You know, I think they fear it. How do I talk to them? Yeah. You know, ask them. How do you want to be identified as? How do you want to be addressed? For me, it's Rachel. Pronouns, she, her. Mm -hmm. Not a complex thing, right? No. Just And just treat me with the same respect you would any other human being. Exactly. If you do it all. You know, I just want to be treated the same. I want to live my life. I have my dreams, aspirations. I love the run. You know, and, and that's what I want to do. And I, I love my job and I, my boss is so understanding, even though I do have to, I deal with the public mm -hmm. my job. I got a really cool job. I work in a running store. Oh, dang. <laughs> <laughs> that's like the best job. That's like a dream. Like yeah, it is. that's what makes you happy. <laughs> you know about the kid in the candy store? Yeah. Yeah. That's me. You see all the new <laughs> shoes, all the new gear. Right. Which one do you work at? Uh, it's called Peak Running in okay. Donald Illinois. Okay, cool. Yeah. But it's a great place. So what do you think about how the gender role is being played now? Um, do you believe there's only male and female? Or do you believe there's male, female, then infinity? That is a good question. Um, sometimes I think we just got to get out of, in order to understand this, we got to get out of classifying things as either male or female. I, I had somebody ask me, um, uh, does this color look a little feminine? I'm like, by definition, a color cannot have a gender. Very true. That is, yeah. We assign the color a gender, like pink, which they used to use for baby boys. For some reason, it got changed to blue. I don't know that story. <laughs> but you know, we, pink is for girls, purple for girls, right? All these kind of colors are for girls and these colors are for boys. And to me, that got a little boring. I think if we just, if we could start with not classifying colors in any gender, you know, that would be a, a great start toward people understanding that some things don't need to be classified by male, female, you know, boy, girl, whatever, you know? Well, if you've ever looked at anything on my Instagram, you'll know that I wear all the colors, so it doesn't matter. <laughs> I, know, I love it. I, 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 I shoes, so, and I don't care. 
<laughs> and at work Saturday, I'm like, well, let me, I listened to your podcast with the, uh, the priest with the running addiction. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that was a great episode. I like that. Yeah. Brian's Thank a good you. dude. Thanks. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I, I am the same way. I love, I hate the society norms that a male runner should wear blue, black, as I'm wearing a blue sweatshirt, a blue, black, or gray running clothes. I hate that. But I mean, like, why can't it? I wear, I have purple shorts, like purple running shorts. Like, why can't I wear those? Or why can't I show up on the, the, the start line with those purple shorts and a pink shirt? I have, now I have pink shorts. And it's like, why can I not, as a male runner, have colorful clothes? Because you know, why is why is that against you know? There's only a few companies that sell colorful clothes. I know pink is for girls, but I, I think it's I, I don't know about your upbringing, but mine. I mean, my dad was a pretty good guy for the most part. He had his faults, but don't we all? But yeah. we're we're brainwashed from the time we're born, saying, "All right." You're a boy, you gotta have blue, gray, black, occasionally a green, maybe you get a yellow. If you're a little progressive, you get an orange, right? Have you seen the color of men's running shoes? Yeah. They're I don't buy much those colors. I do not buy a pair of plain black shoes or gray colored. If you look at my shoe collection, they're all like super bright, crazy looking colors. I, I would got not a buy pair, a pair of black. I got ones. a pair of ultra superiors that are bright orange. I love them. Yeah, <laughs> no, because it's going to piss a lot of people off. <laughs> and I love it. And I'm like, I look at the, I, I love the women's colors because they get all the fun colors. They do. They, they get do. all the fun yeah. colors. I get so upset at that. I'm like, why can I not? I don't know. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> and that's why. Maybe I just need to start my own clothing line and just have just bright there colored clothing. Well, <laughs> I'm not going down the clothing line military. business. That's <laughs> right. But it's like it's like the fitting into this box is very constraining. You know, why do boys only have to pick from this color, these colors? Why can't you just have everybody wear these colors? Yeah. You know? What? When you were saying that, I was thinking about, you know, when babies are born, you know, the boys get a blue something put on them and the girls get a pink something put on them in the nursery yeah. to identify them. Why are we why, why are we starting from birth? I mean, there's a tag up there that says what they are when they're born, but yeah. that's an interesting point. I didn't ever thought about how the colors are so yeah. ad identifying a gender. Right. It's like we use things to, all right. Um, we, we even do it with occupations. We used to do it with occupations. Um, male nurse, for example, men didn't become nurses. They became doctors, right? Yeah. Once upon a time. Well, and you still hear the, hear the term male nurse, like, right. Why? Yeah, why, can't, why can't they just be a nurse or a yeah. medic or you still hear that term? Right. And it's like, okay, why does this occupation have to be for a woman or this one for a man? You know, why? 
And I think if we can get out of classifying some of these things, people's minds might start opening up a little more to this, hey, I don't identify with this or with this, you know? Another, there's like, some people are non-binary, some people consider themselves gender fluid. They, they can be either male or female, depending on the day, you know? But, and, and if that's the way they want to be, I, I say go for it. If a woman came up to me and said, well, how, how would you like it if I wanted to be a man? I'd say, welcome to the brotherhood. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I, I, I'm, you know, it's like, if that's what you want to do, go for it. Who am I to tell you you can't? Yeah. I, I can't. And why is society in that place to tell us what we can and can't do? I mean, we are who we are for ourselves and right. whoever else. Not like you were saying before, this isn't for anyone else but yourself. Right. I, I just have a hard time understanding why society puts us all in these different categories, roles, whatever we want to say. Just frustrating when you find out the answer to that would you let me know <laughs> i think a lot of people would want to know that one yeah i mean inquiring minds want to know yeah that's very interesting you know and th th this is weird because i used to have these closed-minded views right because that's what i was taught to have right um Can I share something with you guys? It's not too bad. Absolutely. Um, I was 16. Christmas Eve, we opened up our presents, right? That's We opened them up on Christmas Eve, and then Sunday we did our stockings. Christmas Eve, I opened up a box, and it was December. What year did I turn 16? This would, would have been 1984. So inside this box is December 1984's issue of Playboy. I'm like, well, that's an unusual gift. <laughs> and my dad said, I got you a year's subscription. All right, great. I didn't ask for it. And like later when my mom and my sister wasn't around, he's like, now, now son, I, I got you this to teach you not to objectify women. And I had to scratch my head a little bit on that. And I'm like, how is this going to accomplish that? <laughs> I'm going to read it only for the articles. <laughs> As a 16 year old. <laughs> Yeah, right. But I, but you asked how I came to this. When I was 16, and I'd, I'd look at the pictures and I'd see the women's breasts, I'd be like, I'd always wonder, you know, I'm like, I would like to have breasts like hers. You know? And I, I guess from there on, it, it just kind of happened. It's like, 
I, I think that's the first time I admitted to myself, and then I buried it naturally, that I'm different in this aspect. I didn't admit it to anybody else, but I admitted it to the most important person, me. But I couldn't be that way. You know, that was not what was expected of me. That's not what you do or did back in the 70s or 80s. And I still want to know how that would teach me how not to objectify women. <laughs> I guess the world may never know. Yeah. What if what if you opened up to your dad about that and told him that? What do you think his response would have been? Um not good. Do you think it would have pushed you really the other direction even you already had a like a, a secret with yourself, I guess. But do you think yeah. it would have pushed you farther down the other way? I think it would have pushed me into like just keep burying it and say, okay. It's like when I, I, I married my wife, we got married and I told my dad we're getting married. He's like, great. I told him I'm getting married in a skirt. And he just looked at me and I said, it's a kilt. <laughs> He's like, oh, it better be a kilt and not a skirt. And at that point, I'm thinking, well, what's the difference, really? Right. It's true. I mean, they both look very much similar. But, you know, and the kilts are very manly in, you know, Scotland. <laughs> they, they are. And I, I have a couple great kilts, but they also resemble a skirt. True, yeah. It's just a, yeah, that's a very interesting but, way to but, put it. But so. it's all how you perceive it. Yeah. I mean, it's like perception. I, I guess some people perceive members of the LGBTQ community as something to be feared. They don't understand it. Um, they perceive it as different. I think they're like, somehow maybe we're contagious. <laughs> I don't know, like, if, if their kids are around us, they're going to become that way. Yeah, and I'm pretty sure the kid is not even going to really care. So I, I grew up in Salt Lake City, Utah. So you can only imagine what I had to deal with with the religion. Uh, my parents weren't religious. Um, but if you weren't, the schools I went to all the way through high school, 95% of the population was LDS. And then if you did not agree with the LDS, you were something else. You were black sheep. You were pigeonholed into some other caste, I guess you could say. Well, what is um, LDS? Mormon. Oh, okay. Um, Latter-day Saints. Okay. Yeah, Latter-day Saints. Um, so at a very young age, I started questioning why Why is there so much religion in school, even though they say there's not. Yeah. The whole state The whole state is Mormon. All the higher-ups are Mormon. There was no... No one from my side of the group that had a voice. Uh, it was very hard. Then when my mom was, uh, after the divorce, she had some friends that were gay. And I was around gay men and women at a very young age. Um, 
I never saw them as different because I was already questioning why is everyone pushing you in this one direction? Mm -hmm. It's very, uh, very interesting to now see where we've gone from there. Um, so I can, I, I see what you're saying there. It's just life <laughs> and the right. way you want to push you around and make, make you what they want you to be when you don't want to be what they are. Right. So I could see where, you know, when you told your dad you were going to wear a kilt, he was like, no, my son's not going to do that. Um, no. You know, so I grew up with that pressure the whole time. Why aren't you at church on Sunday? Because I don't go to church. Right. Well, my parents, my parents said I can't hang out with you now because they don't see you at church on Sunday. Huh. Huh. Uh, and it's like, why do we do this? It's like, there, there's been a big debate, especially in Florida, it's like, you know, the whole thing is sexualized, right? They sexualize it. But it, it's the kids that are not sexualized. It's the adults. Because yep. yet you ever go, you meet somebody's kids or whatever, and somebody goes, oh, you know, six-year-old girl, oh, she's so pretty. Do you have a boyfriend yet? <laughs> right. She's six years old. What does she want a boyfriend for? <laughs> you know, or, oh, such a handsome young lad, boy, he's going to be a real heartbreaker. You know, the kid, he's five years old. He doesn't know anything about this, you know, but it's the adults who are, to me, and I don't know if this makes sense to you, but to me, it's the adults who are sexualizing it when the kids are not. 100%. They don't even know. Yeah, they don't even know or they don't even care. Yep. You know, they're just they're just starting to learn about this world. You know, and it's like, no, you got to go this way. I have this analogy where I work is the store is right across the street from a train station. And I see the people getting off the train going to their cars. And I, I call them sheep. Because they take the same route every day. They're just got their heads down going from the train to their car. You know, I've actually had people stop in the store going, how long has this store been here? I'm like, eh, seven years. They're like, well, oh, I just noticed it. I'm like, you walk by it every day. <laughs> and I watch you walk by it every day. You know, it's they don't pay attention. We're programmed. This is what we got to do. You know, you're born, you go to school, you go to college. This is what I was taught. You go to college, you get married, you have, get a house, you have kids. And after 40 years of working at the same job, you retire. Um, I, I never bought into that. That was never for me. I'm like, well, I don't want to go to college. I know what I'll do. I'll go see the movie Rambo 2 twice in one weekend. <laughs> and then talk to a recruiter on Monday 
and want to enlist in the service. Pretty much that's what I did. I was only 16 at the time, so I had to wait till I was 17 to join the delayed entry program. And I had to have my dad's signature and I don't know what happened, but he signed the papers. Okay, so I'm like, I'm out of here. I'm going in the military. I'm doing something else. I'm getting a GI Bill, 50 grand for college. So my dad wouldn't have to pay for it. Not that we were poor or anything, but you know, I just never bought into this, what I call the American dream kind of thing. You know, it just seemed too constricting and boring and just wasn't for me. So I knew a long time ago I was different. I still am, and I'm okay with that. That's good. I like that. I mean, the whole American dreams, the white picket fence with the dog and the, the kids and the family and the sitting on the porch, you know, with your neighbors and conversing. Mm-hmm. And uh, <laughs> the life's really not like that for the majority of us. No. And yeah. So, and I never wanted to be like that. I'm like, there's got to be another way to live happily. Yeah. You know, I don't make a lot of money, but I enjoy what I do. I help people find running shoes that are good for them. Occasionally, I make a mistake. <laughs> What's going to happen? That's why I have 10 or 15 pair in my room. I make mistakes all the time. <laughs> my wife says, my wife says, I can bring as many running shoes into the house as I want on one condition. The same amount I bring in, the same amount have to go out. Oh, no. <laughs> it's like, you can't. You're like, I got, you know, you got a pair that's like three years old. You're like, I can get one more run out of them. <laughs> Your let knees me, are falling me. apart as soon as you take that run, but you want to run one more. Right? I mean, you're like, now I know I haven't run in these in a year and a half. Yeah, exactly. But, and then you put them aside and you're like, well, I'll throw them out later. And then you're like, look at them. Like, I can get one more run. Out. <laughs> but, but yet I do need a new pair of shoes. I need this pair, you know? Oh, this great new pair of ultras. It's the, the, the new superior is just great. I got to get it, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know how it is. Unfortunately, <laughs> I do. So does my wife. <laughs> right. I think she's just come to accept it that I'm going to buy running shoes quite a bit. I'm looking forward to this journey. As you should be. I'm happy about it. I'm glad you guys have me are talking to me. It's, I mean, this is kind of nice. Yeah, this has been an awesome conversation. I have a one more question before we start to wrap things up. Um, with what's going on a lot of these different people believe that you know children grooming's okay in elementary school johnny's over there playing with a doll well he should become a girl type thing um teachers telling their the parents that you know johnny's playing with the doll he should become a girl where do you think that should start i mean it should start at home with the parents First off, well, yeah. but it seems like now they're saying it's okay to give kids puberty blockers at a certain age. Uh, if they think that they're a girl or a boy, they should be able to transition whenever they want. Um, you've done this later in your life. 
what do you, how do you look at that? Do you think it's okay for a five-year-old to think he should start transitioning? Or do you think there's a certain age where we should start talking about this at a different age? Because, you know, as a kid, day-to-day things change. I'm a girl one day, I'm a boy the next day, or whatever, however you want to look at that. I, I think if they're starting to, I don't think maybe they should not go on hormone blockers that early. To, to get to the first part of the thing, you know, oh, little Johnny's playing with a doll, he should be a girl. I tell you what, little boys in my day were playing with dolls. It was called G.I. Joe. <laughs> yep, yeah. Yeah, we all did. <laughs> and, and Ken. <laughs> yep. <laughs> right? So yep. even, but, but they were quote-unquote male dolls. One was, oh, G.I. Joe, what you should become. I wanted to become Rambo. G.I. <laughs> Joe was a win. <laughs> you know, it's like boys were playing with dolls, but they said, okay, but but those are like manly dolls, right? Right, masculine dolls, yeah. Those are masculine dolls. A doll is a doll, right? Exactly, yep. All right. Should have, does a five-year-old know he wants to go on hormone blockers? Uh, probably not. I think he should wait a little bit, see where it goes. Maybe he's just having thoughts. But, I mean, this is a, a hot issue among trans people. But I... I Personally, I think they should wait a little bit. You know, five years old might be a little too young. He might know then, but like I say, you never know where you're going to be. Right, right. If you told me when I was 20, that when I'm my age, I was going to be running ultra marathons and transitioning to from male to female, I would have just like laughed in your face. <laughs> so you don't know where you're going to be or how things are going to go out. I think five, if they want to put on a dress at five, that's fine. If they want to wear women's clothes at five. That's fine. Should they get hormone blockers? I'm not somebody that can tell them what to do with their body. Yeah. Yeah. You know, because I mean, they're, they're really irreversible once that happens. And uh, it's just going down a slippery slope. I mean, you know, they say the, the brain doesn't mature until you're 25. Um, so even up to even up to 18, is that still, you know, I don't know. It's very, it's very. It's a very hot issue. I think it, it should go by case to case if that's what they want to do. I don't know. I don't know how they feel. Well, you know, if they feel like they want to be a woman more than a boy. I know how that feels. Yeah. But I was never told that, like I said, we don't talk about this. And number one, hormone blockers, this this pro- whole process would have been a lot harder to go through, you know? Oh, yeah. Back yeah. in the 70s or 80s. I mean, at yeah. five years old, all I wanted to do was play, whether it was with a doll or pretending a stick was a was an automatic machine gun. <laughs> right. You know, that's all I cared about. 
I would have, I, I, at that age, I, I wanted to hang out with the girls more than I did the boys. I knew that that made me different. But, huh. Yeah. So, and so, but I, I think it, it's just something that has to be assessed. I agree. Um, what? I said I agree. You know, I, but I can't tell them what to do with their body. I... Yeah, you know, I think it should be a, a you know, very young age. It needs to be have a conversation with the, the parents first and foremost. You know, your parent with your parents. Then there needs to be some people that have some experience with transitioning psychologists, something like that, doctors, um, to give them the facts. Hey, once we start this, there's no going back. Um, all that stuff. And it's a new thing. Like you were saying, it's very new. Um, I think they just need to give it time and let it come to fruition and let it, let it figure itself out. You got to talk about it more, make it a little bit more normalized. And if you ask me, it is first and foremost, the parents' job to raise the children, not the school teachers. 100%. 100%. Yep. I agree that. I, I believe if, if you want to have children, that's great, but they're your responsibility. Right. Right. Not the schools, because that's a whole other therapy session. But... Like I said, it, it would have, I don't know everybody's case, so uh, right, well, I can't comment too much on that. So uh, wrapping up, we have a couple questions I always like to ask our guests. And the first question I always like to ask, what kind of gear do you use like uh, for running from head to toe, hydration, nutrition, hats, all that stuff? And with you working in a running store, it should be quite good. Right. <laughs> uh, Professional perspective here. Yeah. Right. In terms of hydration vests, I've gone through several brands. Right now, I'm running in the Nathan Vapor Car. That was recommended to me by a great running coach. <laughs> I wonder who that is. Coachy <laughs> uh, with Rising Mountains Coaching. Yep. So I've been using that, and I've been happy with the Nathan. I was using Ultimate Direction, but I like Nathan now for hydration vest. I do love rabbit shirts. Oh, yeah. Yeah, they're great. <laughs> I have rabbit a shirts and rabbit shorts. Of course, there is one thing that there's stuff for women is rather petite, and I'm a big girl. <laughs> <laughs> so, but I do like running in rabbit in the summer, craft in the winter. Um, socks, I either wear uh, exoskin or in gingy. Yep. Um, and shoes, I'm primarily an ultra guy. I, I do wear this brand of shoes called, I don't know if you've heard of them, called Zero, X-E-R-O. I have, yeah. Mm. I have a couple pair of their sandals. Yeah, I run in some of their minimalist shoes. I like them, but primarily I run in ultras. I like the more minimalist shoes. So that's pretty much the gear I use and whatever the store has, if I need something, I'll get it. 
I shop every day. Right. I, <laughs> I would be so dangerous. <laughs> I spend my whole paycheck there before I get it. <laughs> That'd be my problem. <laughs> oh, a new pair of shoes came out. Oh, yeah, I need these. Hey, hey, boss, can you order me a pair? <laughs> at a discount, so that's kind of a perk. Yeah, it's always a good thing. Right? I, I don't pay full price for running. That's, yeah, it's, it can get expensive, that's for sure. It can, especially if you're addicted to running stuff and shoes like me. <laughs> I find that with uh, a lot of us, you're either gearheads or not. <laughs> right. I'm definitely a gearhead. Uh -huh. I, I'd say Justin is too. <laughs> oh, yeah. I, I mean, like I use a, I don't know what watch you guys use, but I use a Koros. Yep. Yep. Both of us use Koros. But I, I don't get into, as like, you, some runners will be like, oh, I got to take all my, uh, all the readings, you know, and all my heart rates here and this and that, all the biometrics. I'm like, no, I just need to know how far I run, how long it took me. Having my heart rate, knowing what that was, that that's fine. But you know, I'm not. I don't get that detailed into it. Yeah. But I use a Coros watch. I like it. I got the Pacer Two right now. Oh, okay. <laughs> Yeah, I just upgraded to the Verdicts too. I'm a big fan of it. I don't I didn't need it. I just wanted it. So there we go. Uh, <laughs> That's the gearhead I mean is uh, we don't need the Garmin Phoenix six for eight hundred dollars, but no. It looks impressive on our wrist, right? Yeah. Yeah, the Verdicts too. Well the what the what won me over with the Verdicts too is it come in a uh I don't know if you can see it, but it's an orange band. Oh nice. Yeah. Sweet. So of course you know you gotta have those colors. So right. I came in an orange band and I was like, oh, I want that. <laughs> yeah, mine's rather mundane. It's white, but mine's got Velcro on it. I'm too lazy for a buckle. <laughs> <laughs> my time is too precious to buckle my watch. <laughs> right. Even though I hardly ever take it off. Right. I never do. <laughs> All right. Uh... The second question we like to ask our guests, uh, we're trying to grow our podcast, our platform. Who should we interview? Who who do you look up to? It doesn't have to be a runner. It could be anyone in general. We just like to have good stories and good conversations with everyday people doing extraordinary things. All right. Like I said, Scott Coomer, if you want a good conversation, talk to Scott. Okay. Yeah, I've been wanting to talk to him guy. for a while. He's a pretty good guy, and uh, I run with him several times. Got no problems with him. He's got some great stories. He he has his, as you know, he's got his own podcast, and he's probably talked to a lot of interesting guys. So I think that would be an interesting person. And another person who I I, I kind of look up to, and who I think is really got some good achievements and is really just a great person is Susan Donnelly. Okay. You ever heard of her? No. She's finished like 130, 100, 100 milers. Oh, wow. Jeez. Yeah. She's, she's just got some really great stories. She's 
she's really nice and I run with her several times. We live in two different states, but I, I think she would be really good to talk to. All right. Good. Well, perfect. Thank you for those. You're welcome. So we always like to give our guests the, the floor for the last few minutes of the, the episode to, you know, shout out whoever you want, whoever's helped you, all that stuff, where they can find you on social media. Because I know I'm excited to follow your journey. So, I, and I believe other people who listen to our show would be excited to follow your journey as well. So if you want to tell us where, where they can find you on social media and anything you want to shout out, the, the time uh, is yours. Well, I'd like to give a shout out to my wife. She's, uh, she stood by me through all sorts of stuff that I put her through. And I, I, why she's still here, I had nothing to do with that. that that's just, that one I chalk up to God. Uh, like I said, the, my friends, I got a couple really good friends that just stick by me and they're like, do you, uh, one, her name is Heather and the other one, her name is Kelly. I won't use last names, but, um, they really been really helpful. And the people I work with at Peak Running, they're, they're really a bunch of great people and they're very supportive and I'm happy for that because, you know, it, it could all be difficult, but they, they've made it easier and more accepting of my decision to go this way. And if you want to follow my adventures on uh, social media, you can find me at Rachel MTF athlete on Instagram, or you can, my other Instagram account account is Yeti's trail adventures. Um, I just signed up for TikTok, So, I'm going to be doing probably videos soon. What's what's that one? I don't even know my handle on that one. <laughs> there's TikTok. Uh, <laughs> there's TikTok. And my TikTok is at Rachel Elizabeth 309. Okay. I didn't pick that one. They gave it to me. It works. So if you want to follow me there, that's where you can follow me. I primarily do Instagram. I'm going to start doing TikTok, I guess. <laughs> so if you want to follow along on this journey, I'd love to have you with me. Yeah, I'm, I'm definitely excited to see where this goes and takes you. Uh, this, co this, co this conversation was awesome. I really enjoyed it. Thank That's you for being so open with this. Thank you for having me on. I, I appreciate you guys being so open and on somewhat on and understanding so it's been a good experience and thank you for making it that way absolutely i can't yeah, wait to get your story out there thank you for listening this podcast has been produced and edited by backbeat sound come and find us on instagram at backbeat sound 1776 or email us at backbeat sound 1776 at gmail.com